I just want to also apologise to the listeners for not uploading on Wednesday past. Obviously that was due to an issue with the Sunday to Wednesday changeovers. Therefore, to make things simpler, I will only post on Wednesdays, that's every Wednesday from now on forward. So firstly, I would just like to say thank you to the listeners in Stockport who make up 76% of the listeners in England. England has a listener tuning of 71% overall, with the UK having a 81% of my listeners. So thank you to the listeners in Stockport for tuning in to my episodes. Thank you. Welcome back to my podcast, So Wrong, It Is Great. Uh, in this episode today, we'll be discussing a research project which i done with Health and Social Care Alliance Scotland. It was looking at the question, can engagement and inclusion activities promote health and well-being, and if so, how? Once we discuss that in quite some detail, I will then be looking at how inclusion and engagement can be be achieved in society after COVID-19 has of the East. So this research was done a number of years ago and I am also going to recall most of the findings from memory. However, one of the things that I do remember quite vividly about this research was that it was contradictory to what other of the evidence was saying at the time, which was that there should be an online presence for young adults who had had cancer to go on and discuss obviously their background and their stories and so forth. What my research had shown was that obviously young adults were more in favour of a face-to-face meeting place. The main issue with obviously this research is that it was never codified. Um, It was never produced in any journal or any official documentation. There is a little pamphlet that was produced, however, there was not many of them in circulation. Uh, there is a picture of that uh, pamphlet in my Instagram page, which I will post a link to in the description below. However, one of the notes that I had made on my Instagram page was that in, uh, involvement in peer support groups, such as the one that obviously the journalists were involved in, uh, improves well-being through social contact and uh, provides a chance to share concerns and issues within your peer group. Uh, obviously, I want to keep this podcast and of the blog apolitical if I can. 
However, I would like to suggest that obviously what my evidence has shown is that that peer support is very important and obviously with COVID-19 and budget cuts there has been a lot of groups that have lost premises and a lot of segregation of people with disabilities and other complex social needs who have been losing out due to of the decisions that have been made at both central and national levels. Before I transition into talking about COVID-19 and where I see a vital role for the subsector post-COVID-19, I would just like to play a recording from an interview I did in regards to my research question. to do was basically looking at what citizenship meant to me. Being a citizen for me is about taking an active role in the community. What I would say is for people to be actively involved in citizenship and take full support, they've got to have that accessibility. Citizenship is about engaging with the community. If that access isn't there, then you're not going to be able to take full responsibility as a citizen. You've got to be active, but you've got to have the accessibility to do it. What I would say is your activity it helps your mental health and your social health. Now, what I would then say is, if they're not active, know why they're not active, what's the barrier? As a stronger voice in the community, as the community goes, one voice to council that others say, look, here's the issue, how do we fix it? And that recording sums up my thinking as it is at present with regard to how I see society post-COVID-19 and how we build a well-being society moving forward. Obviously, the buzzword at the moment is build back better. I'm not sure that actually we know what build back better actually means. Uh, I think as a community and society, we have to start engaging a lot more. Uh, that engagement actually starts at a grassroots level. It starts by including including all people. Uh, that's obviously people who are segregated or marginalised in society. Obviously, these people have a lot to contribute. Uh, and as a community, we can learn from actually engaging of the communities that we do not normally see, or if we do see, we see as street furniture. Over the past month, as I have been waiting to obviously care back from the university about doing my dissertation, I've been attending quite a lot of online meetings that have been looking at obviously what we do post-COVID-19 and how we build back better or to whatever we'll go, or to something that may resemble whatever we've had before. And obviously one of the things that they've been looking at is the idea of the enabling community, uh, which again is something that is not particularly you, it's all about building from the bottom up. I think there might be something regarding the idea of a social contract there, 
which is an agreement between the citizen and the state and obviously what will the state should have and what will perhaps even the citizens should have. Uh, perhaps one of the things we could potentially look at is some sort of a codified constitution which actually spells out the rights of the citizen and the right of the state in a post-COVID-19 era. Uh, obviously, that's one of the things that that should and I hope would include would be obviously the role of the marginalised communities and how those communities can integrate into the wider communities and obviously how our institutions, how our venues and our society in general can be adapted to people who perhaps feel they are not welcome within communities uh, or don't have the capacity to move into those venues and to contribute as a citizen. Uh, obviously that is for me one of the major issues where society was before COVID-19. COVID-19 itself has highlighted quite a lot of these issues where people are still segregated and where people are isolated, where people feel as if they are not able to, to contribute due to some sort of a barrier. And I think of the past, a post-COVID-19, we have to look at a way of breaking down those barriers. Uh, obviously, the thinking at the moment, from what I understand within the first sector, is that that would be from a bottom-up based approach and asking that of the governments take a back seat almost in regards to wellbeing and allow for community to build their own resistance to future COVID episodes or any other episodes which may cause issues for communities. My final thoughts before I sum up is basically that if we are to build back better from the bottom up post-COVID-19, then we have to find a way of getting the right access to the right areas that require them in order to build and provide a wellbeing economy. That though will be a challenge because as I understand it, I think 71% of non-governmental organisations in Scotland actually receive funding either from the government, the Bid Lottery Fund or any other form of funding that is available to them. Uh, I don't see how that can be sustainable in the long in the long run. Uh, obviously, I think for me and for obviously the governments or for sector organisations and social enterprises moving forward, there is a lot of communication that has to be done in order to bring forward the youth funding formula. To sum up, obviously I want to just turn briefly to obviously the research which I did, which was obviously looking at the question 
care, engagement, inclusion and activities promote health and well-being and if so, how? Uh, I believe obviously what I discussed here shows that engagement and inclusion does improve well-being. Uh, your activity within the community can go a long way in order to create a social capital for yourself and for other citizens. I believe that that social capital actually builds a resistance to things such as COVID-19 which are actually isolating. It creates an isolation of the if the isolation and the segregation is already present in communities then all that is actually shown is that things such as COVID-19 can extend that and obviously make the isolation worse. Uh, so moving on from that point, what we have seen is quite a lot of budget cuts and those budget cuts normally come in areas where society kind of does not see people in the first place due to either seeing them as street furniture or seeing them somehow as irrelevant to providing GDP growth and growth for the community. Uh, obviously post-COVID-19 that is something we have to challenge, we have to change the thinking around people who are segregated and marginalised at the moment and to bring them into the wider community of the wider communities who provide of the accessibility to people who are currently segregated will benefit a lot more than of this segregated South form communities who do not uh, there's clearly evidence and publications that actually do show that. There's also a t-shirt from Cubic Cancer, which has printed cancer, social isolation before that was cool. Some citizens of society should remember that social isolation right now is seen as being cool. <laughs> stay apart, stay safe, stay well. Oh, thank you. To my listeners in New Zealand, and India.